peace with the comfort of our care. Knowing peace with the comfort of our care. Knowing peace with the comfort of our care. It's Deer Valley Hospice Care. It's Deer Valley Hospice Care. Join us for stories of healing, hope, and the hospice journey, a conversational series that delves into various topics surrounding hospice care. Each episode features experienced practitioners from a range of services at Deer Valley Hospice Care, providing valuable insights and information. Whether you're interested in learning more about the practices of hospice or in need of support, this podcast is intended for anyone, anywhere. everyone. Thank you for joining us for the stories of hope, healing, and the hospice journey. And I am Erica Scott. I'm the hospice administrator and director of nursing. I've been here with Deer Valley for two years now, a little over two years. And I've been in hospice for seven years and pretty much in nursing for over 20 years. I'm Chrissy Jones. I'm actually the assistant director of nursing and I also work in Erica's absence as the assistant administrator. Done private duty nursing. I've done staff nursing for a hospital. have just been a jack of all trades when it comes down to case managing, acting as the assistant clinical nurse supervisor. I've acted as a supervisor. I've just kind of jumped in where I was needed. So it looks like today we'll be answering the most frequently asked questions about hospice care that were submitted by the viewers and we'll get started. So the first question is, is hospice care 24-7? As far as hospice being 24-7, that's kind of a yes and a no. So the availability for a nurse to be there is 24-7, but the idea of hospice is that patient is there with their family. They've made it to the end of their journey with their diagnosis, and so the family or friends, sometimes that happens too, is there to kind of help them with the non-medical piece of it. And a nurse is available to help with any kind of medical issues issues such as pain management. Sometimes circumstances, a patient can be admitted into respite care in which that would be somewhat of a 24-hour thing. It gives the family really a break from having to be at that person's bedside. I agree. We pretty much have the availability 24-7 on call, but we're not in the person's home or as a caregiver 24-7. They can always call. So the next question would be, what is the role of a hospice nurse and how many days does the nurse come? The role of a hospice nurse is to provide the bedside care in the home or wherever they call home. The nurse will come in and do assessments, help with medication setup and reviewing of medications. will also be that in-between person, between that patient and the doctor to make sure that the care they need, pain is managed, symptoms are managed in a home setting. It depends on the patient's situation. The nurse can come anywhere from one day to pretty much every day. If the person is critical or transitioning or the symptoms are out of control, the nurse will be there every day until symptoms are managed or until that person transitions. Who pays for hospice care? Hospice is typically paid by your two main federally funded insurance agencies, which is Medicaid and Medicare. Just to answer that question, Medicare and Medicaid are your two main insurance companies that reimburse for hospice. 
is hospice for people who are in the last 48 hours of life. Sooner to be able to help be prepared for those last 48 hours of life and to be able to make sure that care is needed and things are finalized, their final expenses, their final preparations for funeral homes and things like that. Because a lot of times when you wait until those last 48 hours, a lot of people do not have those things in place. And then it's difficulty with burying and funeral homes and dealing with that transition at the end of life. And then also, sometimes if we can get in there a little sooner, then we're able to extend where that a person may have been taking too many medications or mismanaging their medications at home. And sometimes we come in reviewing medicines, we'll give them a longer time than what that doctor has said because of the fact that it could be their symptoms out of control or the pain or them transitioning because they're taking too many medications at the time. The next one is, well, I have to leave my house to receive hospice care. No. As you mentioned earlier, that they can be at home, they can be at a nursing home. The hospice care is wherever the place that that patient calls home. There's even cases to where I went to a garage. The patient was living in a garage set up and had to go in and provide care to them until we can get them into a good place in a home. So, But it's wherever they call home. Do I have to be homebound to get hospice care? On the disease process, when people are admitted into hospice, going to places like church, things that were a routine for them, like if Miss Jones goes to the beauty shop every Wednesday, those are some things that you will want to try to keep active up until the point that they can't do it anymore. The next one is if I'm in a facility, hospital or nursing home, can I choose my own hospice company? And that's a yes. It's the patient's choice. And that's what we try to get across, that you have a choice, that once the doctor gives that prognosis and says, gives that order for hospice, that you have a choice of what hospice company you choose to go with. A lot of times you have hospitals will, you know, edge you more towards their hospice that they have there. But we're trying to get across to people that you have a choice, that you don't have to choose that. And you can choose a hospice that is more personable to what you need and to be able to cater to your needs. And I would say more of African-American families do not want certain types of things done at the end. Like they don't want the medicines changed. And this hospice is new to them. They don't understand it. So they want someone that can actually communicate with them and explain those things and understand that I'm not ready for this, but doctors saying I have to. So, and that's why we always say, you know, you have a choice to choose what kind of care you want at home or, you know, where do you want the care provided as well. Um, And I just wanted to add to that in terms of choosing your own provider. And uh, I hope I'm not offending anyone with saying this, but anytime you're given a diagnosis such as cancer, we'll just use that as an example, and you are in the middle of receiving treatment, things are getting good, you always want to do that plan B, which is where the hospice piece comes in at. And that's not you being doubtful of all the treatments that, you know, they're not going to work. But I think it's a form of you just being realistic at this point, even if you have dementia. Biggest myth about hospice care? There's several. I don't think there's one (laughs) direct myth, but the few that do come to mind, I know there's like a huge controversy with the morphine that's often used for pain control, which is a huge, huge fallacy in that, you know, the idea of morphine being given to a patient when that person is experiencing you know, the 
respiratory depressions and the somnolence pretty much is assumed to that lay person that, oh my goodness, they're passing away. Well, no, these are just simple side effects that happen with the dose of morphine being given. Before any pain medication is administered, do you want to do somewhat of an assessment? And oftentimes, you know, the patient, they may seem to be uncomfortable. They may seem clammy. They may seem more, I guess, active, if you will. And I think it is a misinterpretation when the morphine is given that they kind of get into this calmness type state. And that has nothing to do with death being sped up by no means. And it's the same way with Ativan being given. These are just simple side effects. And I know if this were me, I definitely would want to be given some sort of medication to try to relax myself for if and when that moment does happen when I do transition. The other myths that come to mind, I'm just automatically giving up. And no, it's not necessarily you giving up on life or none of that. It's just, again, you have to be realistic. We as human, even the best of the best, (laughs) doesn't have all the answers. And with that being said, when that time does come, you definitely want to have some sort of quality of life towards the end. Spend more time with your family, maybe reaching out to friends you haven't heard from or spoken to in a long time. Doing the things that you like to do, seeing if the family can all get together, celebrate your life. It doesn't have to be your birthday, but (laughs) just taking that time out to honor them. Looking at the accomplishments that you've made, reflecting. That's at least two of them that I can think of. Introducing Old Henry Soul Food Restaurant, where delicious meals meet a warm and welcoming atmosphere. Listen to all five episodes of our podcast and collect the word of the day for a chance to win a dinner date for four at Old Henry's. Don't miss out on this opportunity to experience the soulful flavors of Old Henry. Submit your answers in the form within our bio and join us for a night of great food and even better company. The word of the day for the second episode is choices. Can you think of any? The morphine is the biggest one you know, yeah. that I've heard much of, like causes a person to die. And like you said, it's not true. That's the biggest myth I've heard of. In your opinion, why do you think so few African-Americans take advantage of the hospice benefit? This is my opinion. There's been a stigma indoctrinated in us as uh, African-Americans. I'm a big history buff. And when you look back in time, start thinking about how we were treated, being brought over here as slaves and a lot of the torture that we had to endure. It's almost like we just had to deal with certain things. Moving forward to us being emancipated and then you start thinking about the Tuskegee experiments and experiments that were done on African-American women particularly. Started thinking about organs and stuff being taken from people who were lynched and I know I'm getting a little gruesome (laughs) but these are the realities of our history. When you think about being on the plantations, your Caucasian counterpart, if you will, a lot of times they wouldn't go 
to the hospital or go to a doctor. They want to go to that woman or to that voodoo lady or whatever she was called back in those days with her herbs and all that. You know, I can go on and on, but I don't want to get off topic. I just think it's something that's been indoctrinated in us not to trust doctors, not to trust practitioners, etc. And then when you start talking about death, it's like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that's the big no-no. We don't want nothing to happen to quote-unquote big mama. We're going to do everything. Everything's going to be fine. Then you start looking at it from a spiritual aspect and that, oh, no, you know, God is going to take care of everything. And I don't I don't think we as African-Americans stop to think that, well, maybe this is God saying that, hey, this is it. I want my child home. And then in some cases, the, the ugly part, too, I think the selfishness and I think we just want that person there. We're so, we don't care in what condition. We're so used to that person being there. I recently lost my brother-in-law and it was unexpected. He had gotten to the point where he started having what's considered to be myoclonic seizures. And at this point, you're talking about this person's being brain dead. And it was a very unfortunate, tragic situation. But his eldest daughter, she, no, we got to keep him alive. We got to do this. We got to do that. And after speaking to the doctors and the practitioners, they're like, well, hey, if we do make it past this point, you're looking at him being on tube feedings and him having a trach and him being wheelchair bound and now you're talking about having to have a colostomy bag and it was like oh I don't care I don't care I just want him here but you know you have to think about what comes with that not only has your father life changed but now your life is getting ready to change because now you're going to have to stop and take care of your father this is 24-7 and it was a very harsh agreement but I think she finally came to the realization that hey I'm going to have to let him go because we all know we wouldn't want to live like that. But I guess telling another family member that it might be okay. Oh, sure. We know, you know, you don't want this. But then when the moment comes, it's like, oh, no, stuff didn't gotten real. And that's another reason why I say it's important just with anybody. My brother-in-law, he did come with a lot of health problems. But again, it did happen unexpectedly. But, but needless to say, those are just some things I feel like an our community particularly is why we are not quick to go along with doing hospice care. They think it's the end. It's a death sentence. No, it's not. The idea is, yes, you will pass away as we will all. However, you are leaving with some level of dignity, some level of quality. And that's why it's important to cherish that short time. He didn't have that opportunity with my brother-in-law. So, and, and of course, that that's different case because it was unexpected. But for those persons that, you know, you have a diagnosis where the outcome is, is very bleak and it doesn't look good, you definitely want to make certain that you have that quality at the end. And really to add on, because it is a problem in the African-American community that, you know, from my years of experience and going to do admissions with them, it's, it's hard. You know, that is my hardest missions to get someone to understand because I have a lot of people about the spiritual side, like you said, they're feeling like, well, choosing hospice, that means that I'm going against God. You know, I had a lady to tell me that God is her healer. God is her provider, you know, so if I'm going on hospice, that means I'm giving up, that I'm not trusting in God to heal me. And this lady 
had actually had stage four cancer, had a tumor growing that was growing on me fast. It was like, you know, they did radiation and two days later, tumor was growing almost doubled in size again. And I explained to her, I said, you know what, you get a chance that others don't. You get a chance to right wrongs. You get to talk to people. You get to speak. You get to spend time with people before you go because you almost know when you're going to die, unlike others. So I'm here to help you to make sure that you're able to be comfortable, that you're not dying in pain. You're not laying up there unconscious, not knowing what's going on to help you prepare so you don't have that child that say, no, I'm going to teach you everything you need. Here, get a living will, get a power of attorney, get things in place to where that your wishes can be honored because you're saying you don't want to be in vegetative state. But like you said, when you get that kid there, my daughter even told me one day, well, I'm going to be that one that's going to be on top of that gurney. I'm going to be running. I'm going to be grabbing on everything else because I'm going to say, no, I'm not giving up. I'm going to be still trying to do CPR. And after they pronounce you five times, you have to be able to do. Oh, and that is the hard part. Families understand it's so hard for us. It's the hardest thing for me to do to come in there and say, your mom is transitioning. Your mom is dying. Your mom, you know, these are the last few days. Church, I tell people all the time, I felt like the Grim Reaper at one point because I'm like, oh, her, I go again. I'm, it's like this person is, why every time I'm walking her and I can say they finna go. And it's hard. I sat in my car many days crying after I left a person's home because of the fact it's difficult to do. And like you said, you put past everything you were taught and instilled in you by your grandparents, your ancestors, everybody. And to say, now I'm supposed to accept this and say that this is the end and embrace this hospice that I was always told, no, you put, like you said, big mom going in the living room on that couch or and put that bed right in the living room mm-hmm. and we all going to sit here. And we saw that happen with the caregivers, you know, with anybody sick. Everybody went to one house. It was like, hey, we going here and everybody took care of them. So it's different. Mm-hmm. And to see that, so now to get us to change years of fact of, like you said, that, oh, they're going to take my kidney and sell it. I don't have cancer. They're trying to get my kidney and sell it on the black market. Mm-hmm. And I've heard all kind of things. It's, you mean to tell me you had to spot this little, you didn't get it removed, you went, no, they was going to sell it. And so you see all of that. And this, how do we change that? And I think it's, like you said, by education. Educate our African-American community to know that, yes, our grandma, we're not saying grandma was wrong. We're just saying that there is a different way now, that God has helped someone become educated to be able to know, to help and take care of people in this stage of life. And so let us do that. God gave me the knowledge and the, the power to be able to come in and study this, understand this and learn it and know it. So let me help you to where that you don't suffer. That's what they have to understand. Because when we walk in in them last 48 hours, they are suffering. We just had a lady yesterday suffering. It's like, you don't have to. And she's finally taking hospice at the end. We met her four weeks ago. And she was, no, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. But when she became ready, she was in so much pain and suffering. Trying to find a way to stop. Thank you for tuning in to Stories of Healing, Hope, and the Hospice Journey. We hope that the conversations we've had with experts and caregivers have provided valuable insights and perspectives on end-of-life care. As always, our goal is to promote compassionate and dignified care for those nearing the end of their lives. We encourage you to continue the conversation with your loved ones, healthcare providers, and community about the importance of hospice care.